Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast that brings you the headlines of the day with the help of our correspondents from around the world. I'm Tian Yu. Coming up in this edition, new concerns have arisen over the safety of Europe's largest nuclear power plant as Ukraine and Russia trade sabotage plot accusations. The head of the UN nuclear watchdog is trying to reassure Fukushima residents of water safety, while Japan's neighboring countries and environmentalists continue to oppose Tokyo's nuclear wastewater discharge plan. And relief work is underway in southwest China after rain-triggered floods killed 15 in the city of Chongqing. We start in Europe. There are new concerns about the safety of Europe's largest nuclear power plant based in southern Ukraine. Both Ukraine and Russia have accused each other of plotting to sabotage the Zaporizhia plant. The facility is controlled by Russian troops, but Ukraine is trying to retake the region. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says Russian forces have mined the roof of several reactors. Experts from the UN nuclear watchdog based at Zaporizhia say they have not observed signs of mines or explosives. Dasha Chernyshova in Moscow has Russia's response. Moscow has described the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant as tense due to the high threat of sabotage by Kiev. Spokesman for the Kremlin Dmitry Peskov says the consequences could be catastrophic. According to Peskov, Moscow is taking all measures to counter such a threat. Russian officials have repeatedly blamed Ukraine for preparing a provocation against the nuclear power plant, with an advisor to Russia's Rosenergoatom nuclear operator Renat Karcha saying Kiev is seeking to involve NATO into the conflict by staging the provocation at the plant. In the meantime, Moscow maintains there are no grounds for extending the Black Sea grain deal beyond the 17th of July, when it is set to expire. The Kremlin says it has yet to make its final decision, but maintains the arrangement does not work. The United Nations says it is making every effort to ensure the initiative gets continued. That may include a visit by UN representatives to Moscow for talks before the deal expires. That was Dasha Chernyshova in Moscow. In Asia, International Atomic Energy Agency Director General Rafael Grossi has tried to reassure residents of Fukushima that the water in the region is safe. Grossi addressed the meeting with the residents who live around the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Jack Barton reports from Fukushima. I'm actually standing on the tsunami wall at the moment, and this wall snakes up to、uh, the Fukushima Number、no. One or Daiichi plant, and it's from there the water will be released. So it's this area of the coast that will be affected,、uh, which is why he really put in those face-to-face efforts、uh, here in Fukushima Province. It all began in the town of Iwaki. Further south of here, where he met with local representatives, government officials from right across、uh, Fukushima Prefecture, as well as mayors,、uh, fishermen, local citizens. According to the UN watchdog standards, everything was above board. But it was a really hard sell with those officials and the head of the Fukushima Fishing Association, which has long opposed this release, made it very clear that they still oppose the release. Here, there are still many people opposed to it, particularly in the fishing industry. So it was a bit of an impossible sell. I think afterwards, when we talked to people, certainly in this little local area here,、uh, their their positions were very fixed. They hadn't changed because of the visit. That was Jack Barton in Fukushima. Meantime, Japan's plan to release treated radioactive water into the sea continues to draw opposition from neighboring countries and environmentalists. Su Mingyu has more on South Korea's reactions. 
The South Korean government's basic stance is that it respects the report by the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, which concluded Japan's discharge plan meets global safety standards. Well, Park Goyeon, the first deputy chief of the Office for Government Policy Coordination, said that it's been a long-standing position of the South Korean government to respect the authority for the top international agency on nuclear energy. It is a fact that a large amount of water currently stored does not meet the discharge standard. But before being discharged, the radioactive water goes through homogenization and measurement process. If the water doesn't meet the standard, it goes back to the advanced liquid processing system. The repurification process will be repeated until the water meets the discharge standard. And efforts are still ongoing to expedite the timeline for announcing the sole government's own scientific report, which will be announced along with an in-depth analysis of the IAEA's final report. That was Su Mingyu in Seoul. Still in Asia... In southwest China, cleanup has begun after torrential rains killed 15 people in the city of Chongqing. Local authorities have sent search and rescue teams to the hardest-hit Wanzhou district and allocated emergency funds. The government is also providing food and shelter for those who were forced out of their homes by flooding. More than 130,000 people have been affected. Guo Tianqi has more. The rainstorm has stopped. The flood has already receded, which is good news for us. Well, apart from the Wuqiao community, the worst affected area in Wanzhou district, the other part of the city area are dry out. So um, the major responsibility for the rescue work is to clean up. And uh, in the whole district, about 200 households were affected by the flood and uh, about 11,000 people were relocated. And most of them are living with their relatives and some of them are living in hotels and other places. And uh, this place experienced the highest rainfall uh, in this round of the rainstorm. Uh, the maximum rainfall reached about 261 millimeters. And I am inside Changtan Middle School, and this place is the shelter for about 200 uh, flood victims, and they're right now living in the student dormitories. And I, we talked to some of them, and they say uh, when they are escaping from the flood, they can't bring any personal belongings with them. So uh, basically, the government is providing everything right now, including their beddings, their clothings, and also the meals. That was Guo Tianqi reporting. Moving on to the Middle East, thousands of people have attended funerals for 12 Palestinians killed during Israel's military raids in the West Bank city of Jenin. One Israeli soldier was also killed during the two-day operation, which Israel said was aimed at rooting out militants. While the operation has ended, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has warned that it won't be the last. Mehal Bardavid has more from Tel Aviv. It was a day of mourning in the West Bank city of Jenin. Hundreds marched through the streets as funerals were held for several of the 12 Palestinians who were killed during the two-day Israeli operation launched on Monday. The incursion, the largest one in years, included drone strikes and more than a thousand Israeli troops. The Israeli army said it destroyed caches of guns, roadside mines and hundreds of explosives. On Wednesday, the IDF Israeli Defense Forces announced that all Israeli troops have left Jenin, that the operation has been completed and its goals achieved. However, just a day earlier, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu had warned that the Jenin incursion was not a one-off operation. The fighting left behind devastation in the city. 
It destroyed the infrastructure in a way that is unacceptable and unprecedented. When large bulldozers came and destroyed whole streets, including the water system, the electricity and sewage, the army took out its anger on the streets and infrastructure. Israeli officials say entry with bulldozers is necessary to protect their units. Israel's defense minister stressed the humanitarian impact of the Janine operation was taken into account. The way we chose to act was one that reaches all the points where the terrorists are as a result of accurate intelligence and, on the other hand, takes a certain risk because it is necessary to remember that there are 12,000 civilians living in the refugee camp and we made every effort and succeeded in not harming them. Many Palestinian fighters also expressed fury at the Palestinian Authority and accused officials of inaction. Hamas, on the other hand, had claimed responsibility for a car ramming and stabbing attack in Tel Aviv on Tuesday where a Palestinian assailant wounded eight people before being killed by an armed civilian. Rockets were also launched toward Israeli territory early on Wednesday, but were intercepted by the Iron Dome aerial defense system. That was Mihobarovit in Tel Aviv. In North America, it was another deadly Independence Day or 4th of July holiday in the United States. At least 15 people were killed and dozens others wounded in a spate of mass shootings. The 4th of July is now the most violent time of the year in America. Tony Waterman reports. When most Americans think of July 4th, they think fireworks. But increasingly, America's Independence Day celebrations have been marred by another type of explosion, gunfire. Block parties turned deadly in at least four cities. Tragedy striking twice in Maryland, where a 14-year-old boy died early Wednesday in Salisbury, just days after two others were killed and 28 injured in Baltimore, many of them minors. Couldn't believe the numbers. You know, it was frightening. Another three people were killed at a street celebration in Fort Worth, Texas, including 18-year-old Paul Timothy Willis. His aunt saying Willis's mother walked by his dead body, not even realizing it was him. It was people around his body. And they just left him on the street. Just left him like he was just laying there. Not even the nation's capital was spared. Nine people were injured, including two minors, early Wednesday in a drive-by shooting just 20 minutes from the White House. As it drove through the street, it stopped and it fired shots in the direction of some of our residents that were outside. According to the Gun Violence Archive, at least 15 mass shootings erupted across the United States over the long holiday weekend. And according to a CNN analysis, July 4th and 5th are now two of the most violent days of the year, accounting for more mass shootings than any other days on the calendar. U.S. President Joe Biden urging Congress to pass a nationwide ban on assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. Such a law might have prevented the deadliest mass shooting of this Independence Day holiday. Five killed in Philadelphia after a gunman wearing a bulletproof vest opened fire with an AR-style rifle in what police believe was a random shooting. This country needs to re-examine its conscience and find out how to get guns out of dangerous people's hands. And the Second Amendment was never intended to protect this. The land of the free, also home to unfathomable and seemingly unwavering gun violence. That was Tony Waterman reporting. 
On Tuesday, the world saw the hottest global average temperatures since modern record keeping began in 1880. Researchers blamed the extreme heat on an El Nido weather pattern and long-term climate change. Jim Spillman has more. It's hot out there, really, really hot. I mean, everyone's sweating, <laughs> everyone's glistening.、Um, it's really very hot out here. Researchers say this week has seen the highest global temperatures ever recorded, and we can expect more record heat in the coming days. This is something that we're seeing more of. It's not just records being broken, which, as we move into a warmer world, we would expect the world to be, but that they are being broken at. Ever increasing magnitudes is itself quite concerning. Experts say global climate change, combined with a developing El Nino weather system, is bringing brutal conditions around the world. El Nino refers to the unusual warming of the tropical Pacific Ocean waters, especially in the eastern and central parts of the basin. And it's part of a natural climate cycle. Rising temperatures are creating new challenges. Power grids stretched to the limit, livestock dying off, ocean levels rising as polar ice melts. People are doing whatever they can to beat the heat. Umbrellas in Beijing, waterfalls in Iraq, splash parks in the U.S. It's too hot to be outside as it is.、And、there's no end in sight to the sweltering conditions. They're going to keep rising until we stop emitting. Carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Global cooperation to tackle climate change has been slow and uneven. Many experts say the world needs to approach the issue with a much greater sense of urgency. Until then, we can all expect to live with more record heat. That was Jim Spillman reporting. Before we go, here is a recap of the top stories. New concerns have arisen over the safety of Europe's largest nuclear power plant as Ukraine and Russia trade sabotage plot accusations. The head of the UN nuclear watchdog is trying to reassure Fukushima residents of water safety, while Japan's neighboring countries and environmentalists continue to oppose Tokyo's nuclear wastewater discharge plan. And relief work is underway in southwest China after rain-triggered floods killed 15 in the city of Chongqing. And that concludes this edition of the Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports, and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tian Yu. Thank you for listening.